Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCorsi here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. We have a problem. What? We need to talk about the tour bus. Is it back? Uh, we need a bigger one. Why is that? Because it's a top 50 podcast is what you told me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we need a bigger tour bus. Well, first off, you're the only one on the show that has a tour bus. I'm still kind of questioning why. There's a lot of clean tech implications and other things that, I mean, you're pretty much... My CO2 footprint is huge. I realize that. <laughs> is, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, with that, that could cause some changes and some other things. But so should we get a big tour bus? We'll put on the side of it brought to you by fullscale.io. No, but thank you for mentioning that this episode of Startup Hustle <laughs> is brought to you by fullscale.io. With that, I'm going to get back. I'm going to back away from your rock star <sighs> tendencies and maybe introduce another rock star because we've got someone with us today to discuss... Uh, insurance technology that uh, runs one of the bigger, better, more interesting companies here in town. I think that might be a an appropriate way to to bring this in. We've got Chris Giuliani, who's the CEO of Spring Venture Group. Hello, Chris. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Was that a robust enough intro? That was a great intro. Yeah. Much Do you have a tour bus? <laughs> I don't have a tour bus, but I envy you for having one. We're going to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> you should get an electric tour bus. I'm surprised you haven't looked into that yet. Oh. Do yeah. we have a budget for that? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, fortunately, all that sponsor money that's rolling in from FullScale.io. <laughs> so for those of you listening, and as we get started, you know I like it when you're interactive. I want you to go to SpringVentureGroup.com or maybe stop by the gram and go to at Spring Venture Group so you can see a little bit more about Chris's company. While you're there, you can also check us out and see our beautiful faces at, at Startup Hustle Podcast. Now, back to the... Uh, mission at hand. Chris, tell us a little bit about Spring Venture Group. Sure. So Spring Venture Group is a holding company. We own and operate two insurance agencies. We are fully focused on the Medicare world. So everyone aging into Medicare and Medicare beneficiaries. Uh, the two agencies focus on Medicare supplement insurance and Medicare Advantage, as, long as, some, as, as well as some ancillary products for the seniors, such as dental vision, hearing insurance, critical illness insurance, hospital indemnity plans. So our model is really a, a tech-enabled, uh, data-driven model where we do most of our advertising online. And we do do some direct mail, but but the goal is to drive all of these consumers to the phone because it's an inside sales model. Uh, we have various locations throughout the country, and we drive uh, the consumers to our agents. Uh, we have licensed agents that uh, talk to these consumers and help them with the very complicated Medicare insurance buying process. So you said you have two companies. So what's the difference between the two? So the first company, uh, United Medicare Advisors, is focused on Medicare supplement insurance and then those ancillary products that I mentioned. And then our second agency, Smart Match Insurance Solutions, is focused on Medicare Advantage, uh, along with some Medicare supplement and those ancillary products. So we, we've kept that separate uh, based on the two products at this time. I'm still confused. <laughs> As well, are many seniors. Well, Matt, that's because you're getting older. You're getting yeah. older. It's natural. 
So one of them is focused on Medicare Advantage and the other one isn't? And the other one's focused on Medicare Supplement. So two, what is the two difference different between, products for seniors. Yeah, what is the difference? Yeah, so... Uh, Matt is closer to needing this than I am. So help us like, understand. <laughs> but according to everybody I've talked to, I'm aging way better than you. That's so okay. 40, I'm 44, but that's, that's okay. like the new 32. So he almost needs this. So what is the difference? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, so you're right around the corner. Yeah, looking so, forward to it. So easy way to think about it is original Medicare covers 80% of your health costs. Okay. And so Medicare supplement, also known as Medigap insurance, is is there to plug that gap. So you buy the insurance for that 20% okay. gap that you have. Medicare Advantage is a different product in which uh, your parts A and B, which your hospital and your doctor coverage go away, and you buy a product called Medicare Advantage. And that uh, and that is uh, just a different product that's more network driven, probably more like. Does the, it replace Medicare then? It does. Okay. Yes, and so um, it's called it's called Part C, and that will basically be more of uh, the insurance that that you guys are probably used to, which is network driven, uh, copay, some out of pocket expenses. Uh, both are great products. It just depends on the needs of the consumer. I officially know more about Medicare than I wanted to know. <laughs> You'll get, there. You'll get there. So, but but you know this is an this is an important field and an important area, and and obviously your your customer base or potential people that you can reach out to grows because people are living longer. There's a um, a, a need for a lot of that. So, in regard regards to insurance technology, I mean, what and, and I know we just got this like thirty thousand foot overview of some of that, but. With the with the tech the tech that you're building, uh, tell us a little bit about that and how you you know how you found some success with it. Absolutely. So I think to start, you know, the first time people are buying their own health insurance is when they get to the Medicare age, because many people go through their company, you sign up or you click some buttons, and all of a sudden you have insurance through your company. And so it's an overwhelming process to buy your own insurance. Medicare is especially overwhelming. And so what we've done is built tools to help the consumer, the seniors understand what their options are, uh, get them educated on the process that they have to go through and get them educated on the, the options that they have based on the needs that they have. So what we've built, uh, you know, it's really all about the customer experience. And so it starts online and many different places online will talk about how you're going to get a price and some options at the end of an application. And we see many times online that people get down to the end of the application and all it says is somebody will be in touch with you. So we wanted to improve the customer experience by adding some technology that allowed the consumer after they fill out the application to actually start shopping. So we built a consumer website in which they can put their information in, start seeing what the plans are, start seeing what uh, the options are, start seeing the prices, most importantly, uh, of how much they're going to pay for these particular plans. And that helps them start the buying process before our agent even gets on the phone with them. So is is that data driven, meaning like uh, here I, you know, now, um, as Matt lovingly pointed out, as I'm getting older, <laughs> this might be okay. So my dad is, is in his mid to late 76 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm assuming that the induction, you talk about the user experience and the induction of someone into your platform as they enter different data and do different stuff, does, does your system and your technology begin, is it kind of smart in the regards that it'll begin to qualify and disqualify certain things? Cause I know that I'm thinking about my dad and if dad, if you're listening, I love you, but I'm going to throw you under the bus here. Um, he calls me three times a month to fix his printer. 
So, um, with that, you know, giving him 10,000 different answers or solutions or something like that probably wouldn't result in the sale. Is that, is that the approach that your tech takes or? Yeah. So, so the tech takes an approach to just gather a little bit of information. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Oh, (laughs) that's unbelievable. Here, my phone is on. That's wow. So, if you guys could turn your phones off, I will too. That was wild. You, did you change your ringtone? You didn't know? No, I you know it's like literally playing music off my own phone. I'm like, wow, because I decided to get greedy and take a picture of, of you, lovely gentlemen. But wow. Okay. So, anyway, great. back to what we were saying. And I, this is a good time to point out we, if you've ever wondered how much time we spend editing the podcast, that will. Prove none, none. Warts and all, baby. Warts and all. Chris, sorry about that. And <laughs> no uh, problem. Yeah. Wait. Let me penalize. I'm, I'm going to penalize myself. <laughs> Six donations to charity for that one. Yeah, that's a, that's like the 15 yard personal foul and getting ejected. All right, back to. Wow. So, question for you is: So, me- Medicare supplement insurance is it a very standardized thing as far as what people pay and all that stuff? Or, or do you guys have to figure out and understand like their risk and how much they should pay for the insurance and like all that sort of stuff? Or? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are on the distribution side. So we partner with the carriers okay. and the carriers determine the risk. And it so is you a help them figure product. out. So you, you have products from different insurance companies and you're just trying to figure out which one is the best for them. Exactly. Okay, so we represent uh, a number of companies and we work, those companies have, there's different companies and there's different plans. So we work gotcha. with the consumer to find them the best plan that's going to fit their needs. And then from there, we try to find the best price or the brand that they're most comfortable with. So is, is so much of your business predicated on the online business and attracting these customers? Like, so really you're, you're pretty much all a technology business. Absolutely. So we are 95% online. We drive consumers through uh, content, through paid search advertising, uh, through email, uh, but 95% online. And we drive, the the goal is to drive them to our application uh, and really to our website because we want to start getting them educated as soon as they get to the website. Because again, it comes down to customer experience end to end. And so if we can start getting them educated on their options before we even talk to them, that's a huge positive. We want them to fill out the application because we want them to get on the phone with one of our licensed agents. And then from there, they can start their shopping process. And usually during the first 60 seconds or so of their shopping process, our agent is in touch with them. So we build technology to get in touch with these consumers. Really so you call them? A minute. So, so we, while they're so online, all of a sudden their phone rings? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So are these agents your employees or are these like other... Yeah, so our model is all of our agents are our employees. Okay. So we have about 450 agents right now. Wow. And, and they are all our employees. And you, you uh, have a significantly our, higher number of employees than that, don't you? Yeah. And, and, what, and roughly what is that? So we're about 900 employees now. So there's about 450 people doing new business. Uh, there's about 625 people in total on the phones in some capacity. Wow. Uh, wow. And then we have um, you know, the support staff, and we rely heavily on our marketing teams, our data science teams, our data teams, because it's a data-driven business. Yeah. Yeah. If you can optimize a landing page or whatever it is, Absolutely. you know, an, an extra percentage point makes a big difference. Absolutely. Yes. So much, so much is, uh, there's just so much hype around everything data these days. And, you know, that's, we've had a lot of interesting guests and people here talking about data. 
I was watching a documentary about data the other day that claimed it is now the world's most valuable resource. Um, but I think what uh, I, I'm also seeing is there's so much data out there that I'll give you an example. The uh, uh, phone companies uh, over like five days will basically with what they're required to keep, like one carrier will be like five petabytes of data or something crazy. Like, and, but the real question is, is how do you find useful stuff to do with it? So uh, in that category, I mean, what do you, what do you guys do to simplify? I mean, there's, like I said, so much data, some of it's sensitive too, when it comes to medical stuff, like how do you guys make sense of all of it? Like re- whether it's structured or unstructured? That's a, that, that, yeah, that's an important piece because you can have all the data in the world, but if you're not doing the right things with it, not only can it not help you, but it can really backfire on you. So our data science team is really tasked with understanding what data works for us, what data actually makes a difference in the model predictions. Uh, and then they're really tasked with creating the attributes out of the data that we have. So, so you can buy data, we get data uh, online from consumers, but also uh, why I think our data team, one of many reasons that they set themselves apart is they are able to develop attributes based on the pieces of data that we have that becomes more predictable than just using the raw data. So they have done a tremendous job finding the data that actually makes a difference in the models. And we like to remove any piece of data that's not making a difference in the algorithms because that's just going to be noise. Right, right. And I'm going to go back for a second. How did you guys get into this? <laughs> so who woke up one day and said, I want to sell Medicare supplement insurance. So, uh, so the company started and hire 900 people and hire 900 people. Yes. Uh, that has been a fun run. Uh, so we got into insurance in 2010. Uh, the company launched in 2009, doing a few different things and lead generation and, and dinking around in a few things before 2010, when they were going to get into the under 65 health insurance market, uh, that particular summer, uh, that things changed with the Affordable right. Care Act. And so the company pivoted to Medicare. And that started off very small. Uh, there was three agents. And then I joined the company actually to launch an auto and home comparison shopping uh, insurance network. And that really took the priority of growth for about 18 months. Uh, we launched that company in 2011 when I started. Uh, we grew it pretty rapidly for about, well, it was about 17 months actually. Uh, and then we sold our 50%. It was a 50-50 joint venture. We sold our 50% to our partner, which was a huge win for Spring Venture Group. Okay. And that gave us funding to plow right into the Medicare world. So gotcha. by that time, 2012, we were about 15 agents. And once we had this funding and we had some metrics under our belt, uh, and we saw that at that time, we had about 16 years of 10,000 people turning 65 a day. So the market was going to boom. I mean, by 2025, there'll be 73 million beneficiaries on Medicare. And at that time, there'll still be four more years of 10,000 people a day turning 65. So the market was going to be huge. I will say, People are not buying their Medicare insurance over the phone in 2010. And I, I know we had some doubters out there that said, hey, you know, seniors are not online. They're not going to give you the credit card over the phone. And where guys, were they buying it? They were buying it. was a really a, a face-to-face game. It was okay. like a big direct mail game. 
uh, these huge field marketing organizations would get uh, would find agents that were 1099 agents, so not W-2 like our model. And they would go out and they would uh, do a lot of direct mail and go to the kitchen table and, and, and sell Medicare and sell the other products. And so that worked for a long time. So our you, model was new. So were you so you were one of the first people to do this or did you have a lot of competition when you started? We this, had or? almost no competition. Okay. I only know of one other outfit that was doing business like this at, in 2010. And now I'm going to guess you have some competition. Our, our success has driven uh, a tremendous amount of competition. There's probably a hundred different sales centers that deal in the Medicare world now. So there's a tremendous amount of competition. The market's huge. Uh, the way we do business is very efficient. Uh, and we took this model from the mortgage days. So early in the early 2000s, I was in the mortgage world and we were doing the same thing, which was drive the consumer to the phone and do the mortgage over the phone. I mean, even in the early 2000s, even I thought that was a little crazy because I thought, well, don't you go to the bank to get your yeah. mortgage? That's what I did. And once we saw that model work so well, uh, we were able to transition that to the insurance world. Well, now we have a whole gen different generation. Like I think my generation and younger, like we don't even want to talk to me on the phone. Forget that. I just want to do it all online. Yeah. And that's actually what I wanted to, to ask next. So you, you're kind of, I mean, roughly 10 year history here. Um, you know, one of the, th so, you know, Matt and I started a full scale last year and we've got 180 employees and we get that feeling of rapid growth. It's a lot. It's a tough to keep up with running a company that has 30 employees compared to 150 or 200 is, is dramatically different. And yeah. then, and then when you see that trajectory, like flying forward, you know, and, and, uh, uh, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, we got to do this. We got to do that. Or we're really, or we're going to drive off a cliff or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of different things. So how, how have you managed having a rapidly growing company alongside with, I'm assuming some really, really major changes in technology and insurance at the same time. And it seems like two very like mammoth tasks to wrap your arms around. Yeah. You know, and it was recently, I mean, there's some amazing technology going on in the insurance world. Uh, I had a chance to attend the InsureTech conference, which was awesome to see how much advances are being made in technology and insurance. Uh, and we feel like we're on the cutting edge of that because of how we use data. And a lot of our technology is built around a couple of different things. One, the consumer experience, which I've been harping on a bit since we've been talking. We want to make sure that the consumer can have a great experience online before they talk to our agent. They certainly have a great uh, experience talking to our agent because they get educated and help with the buying process. And then it's continued reliance on technology to keep them informed long-term. We want to keep these customers for life. And so that's it's a matter of a lot of electronic communications to make sure they continue their education and that they know they have a resource in us. So um, to, you know, to go back to something you were asking, Matt, uh, when we talk about technology and, and really where we are now in technology, you said you don't want, even want to talk to people on the phone. And we know the market is going to move that way in the future. So uh, the experience that our customers are having now where they can start shopping online, we're in the process of taking that to the next level where they can actually get their policy online with no interaction from the agent. Now, this is a complicated ooh, ooh, process. Ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, we, don't ex we do expect our agents to be highly involved still because it's so complicated. Yeah. Uh, but we do want to make sure there's options out there for people that do not uh, want to interact with, a, with another human. Yes. Matt, Matt, hopefully over the next few years, your dream of non-human contact will come true. And the only <laughs> the only true human interface you will have is here in the podcast studio. And we'll probably just like put you on top of a Roomba or something like that and let you, you know, let you stream yourself in. Who knows? Like, maybe, a, was, maybe a hologram. I don't know. I haven't made up my mind yet. Well, it's like the other day I had to call Expedia to cancel a flight and 
I spent 23 minutes of my life on hold waiting for somebody on the other side to do whatever it was they were doing. It's like, can you just call me back when this shit is done? Like, I really don't need to sit on the phone for 23 (laughs) minutes. And why couldn't I click cancel on your damn website? Well, they did. I did the same thing trying to trying to rebook the flight out to San Francisco. And and that's when the hurricane was happening. Yeah. Well, I it was my fourth try when I finally did it. But they kept the the uh, line kept saying uh, or enter your number and we'll call you back and then they would call me back and I'd talk for one minute and they'd be oh I need to tr- you've you've purchased so much from us I need to transfer you over to our gold whatever and then I was stuck in a thing that wouldn't let me put my phone number in yeah. for a callback I was like wow this is awesome I'm probably never going to buy something from I, you. I mean I think the point is like with all of this type of of stuff different types of technology people want as much automation as possible with buying right it's the the ease of of buying processes absolutely so important Definitely. creating those efficiencies and never having to talk to a human yeah that too. i don't mind talking to people it depends though like I, I you mentioned something earlier about you know the phone actually ringing you know med experience like i would be down with that um what i wouldn't what i don't like is like sometimes you go through an, uh, an onboarding process and then you get calls for like four weeks and you're like dude i bought this like 27 days ago but i would imagine that that in experience call probably solves a lot of yeah. issues do you guys use other technology like live chat and other stuff in there as well is it just like a is it like a, a, a buffet of communication in there? So we use um, email. Uh, chat is going to be new for us. Uh, that's going to be important as we do allow people to enroll online. We're going to need that functionality. Uh, we have we, we, staff, we like to staff our own customer service department, and they're staffed with all the, the technology tools that uh, the rest of our company has so that they can help any question that, that the consumer may have. Because we... They could call, the consumer could call the carrier, uh, but we want them to call us as their agency. We want to be able to handle their problems. We want to be able to continue to educate them. Uh, We send them newsletters every month so we can continue their education. And then every single year we do a policy review to make sure that their needs are continuing to be met because needs change over time, of course. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Like I have... um uh, one of my financial advisors, I need to finish setting up some trust stuff. And he sends me this complicated email with all these complicated questions in it. An example of something like that is a lot easier to just get on the phone and be like, okay, one question at a time. Let's go through this and walk through the process because it's just complicated. If I mean, you, some things just it, require If you it. need him to call me about adding me to your trust, I'll, I'll take the call. Oh. <laughs> I'm okay. willing to answer whatever. I was going to make you the trustee so you were in control of all of it. I think that's also an excellent okay. idea. I, I support <laughs> that. And whether I have to do that through live chat, phone call, okay. email, I'll do all of it. Okay, cool. Yeah. You're still adopting me, right? Yeah. It'll be weird to have a son that's older than you. Not really. Also, maybe. He'll be on Medicare pretty soon, so. Yeah. He'll be off your health benefits. But I'm, I'm planning on doing the Benjamin Button thing. So I'm going to mm. come back down the scope. Yeah. So we'll get that figured out. Um, well, I wanted to go back to the the whole, to the topic of rapid rapid growth. Um, you know, We talk to people that are at a lot of different stages of the growth process of their company and some of the guests that we've had in here are doing really innovative things, but their company has five people, you know, and they haven't, they're just kind of getting started. Um, don't have a whole lot of people in here that have 900 employees. Uh, but you know, like, like I was mentioning the landscape and the needs and everything changed. Like what are some of the things that you learned along the way? Well, growth is certainly a ton of fun. 
and brings a lot of excitement. And it's really exciting when you see uh, we hire we hire uh, obviously a ton of people. Uh, we hire a ton of t- college graduates, and it's fun to see, see people with us that have been with us uh, sometimes just a year or two become a manager, uh, take a new role with our company. Uh, a number of our vice presidents came to us, uh, you know, five six years ago. So rapid growth creates a ton of opportunity, and that is really fun to see. It's really fun to see people contribute to the company in different ways than they originally came here for. Uh, and we have an amazing group of people. These nine hundred people at Spring Venture Group are just unbelievable uh, how they rally around the vision and push this company forward every day. Uh, It's really my one ask that come in every day, focus on moving the company forward. Don't go through the motions. And so, but you know, uh, that kind of rapid growth when we go from four people that started this company to 15 when I joined, we grew to about 95. Then all of a sudden back down to 27 when we sold the auto and home company. And then the growth from 2012 to now has been rapid. And so the challenges that it brings uh, are certainly there. And communication is a tough one, right? We all used to be in the same room and then we were all on the same floor. You could pull everybody together and talk about a change that you might make. And then all of a sudden you're on multiple floors. And now we're in three different locations throughout the country. Our building in downtown Kansas City, we're in nine different floors. So uh, communication is certainly a challenge through growth and making sure everybody understands, you know, the vision and uh, what what, uh, direction we should be going on a daily basis. Another challenge that comes is change, right? We change all the time. Uh, People that take this job have to be able to adapt to change. But change is a lot slower with 900 people than it was with yep. 90 people. Yep. I and mean, you could say, hey, that didn't work this afternoon. So let's go back to what we were doing. Well, that doesn't quite work anymore. Uh, you can't reverse quite as quickly. Uh, now, you're, now you're steering a bigger ship uh, instead of a speedboat. And so the turning and the, and the changing is, has to be more calculated. And that, and that comes down to really what the most important thing is, is having the right team the right team of people uh, to think through the initiatives we should be working on, to think through what we should be focused on, because there's so many opportunities to improve the company or do better things, but you can't do them all. You can't do them all. You drive yourself crazy. And so just making sure you're focused on the key initiatives and that everything that all these sub initiatives that people are working on, make sure that they are aligned with the key initiatives where the company is trying to go. I think one of the, I always use the comparison, you know, when your company gets big, it's like making changes is like trying to turn a battleship around yeah. in a swimming pool. That's it's just like, exactly you know, like, right. where are we going? You know, and, and <laughs> I mean, even at full scale with 180 employees, you look at little things like we have an employee profile of every developer that works for us. And we are launching a client portal that helps our clients search for those developer resources that are available. But in order for that to occur accurately, there have to be different skills and tags in there. So like right now we're in the process of just re-auditing the whole thing. And now we have some people that have worked for us for coming up on two years in the spring and maybe their skill sets changed from when we originally entered them in there. And just like you take something that should on the surface be pretty straightforward and you're like, oh, wow, now we have to do it for 180 people. So you start thinking, man, if it took 15 minutes a person, Oh man, that's going to take someone a forty-hour week to get this done, and that's assuming we can actually efficiently line them up. And it just like I uh, bet he does weekly one-on-ones with every employee still. Yeah, <laughs> for 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 thirty seconds, I think would be the allotment. But that, and that you know that's another thing too. So um, you know when I was just talking to to our staff and 
we've had to change our approach to doing that because a year ago or, you know, a year and a half ago when we had 30 employees, it was easy for me to sit down with everyone on when I would visit our office, our offices in the Philippines. So that's another, it's far. So you get there and like, and now we have to do it in groups. So like we do like town hall meetings and like bring people in and groups of 10 and, you know, stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's a big change because I think really as, um, as one of the leaders of the company, I'd prefer to be able to sit down with people and be one-on-one. But at the same time, it's, you know, unless I was going to stay for three weeks at a time <laughs> and, and do that, that'd be, that'd be a challenge. So um, it, it is, I'd say one of the most fun things we do is we get everybody uh, in the company, at least the people that are in the Kansas city area over to the Marriott a couple of times a year and see, you know, 600 people in one room, 700 people yeah. in one room. It's a ton of fun to see. It's powerful. It's great for everybody yeah. to experience. Yeah. We just did it a couple of weeks ago before a busy season kickoff. And it, it was, it was awesome to see. So I have an interesting question for you. So being in the insurance business, being the part of, you know, leadership team, you know, owners, whatever of a company, how does the, all the regulation stuff kind of impact how you guys look at growth, think about risk, think about the future, all that kind of stuff is, is that something you have to constantly weigh around like knowing anytime the government could change different regulations, how insurance, we talk about ACA, like all these things, like how does it impact like your strategy and growth and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. So we, we absolutely keep, uh, uh, you know, an eye on what's going on in the Medicare world. Uh, one thing about the Medicare world, the seniors are a very protected class mm-hmm. and changes that come down to the Medicare world have uh, a lot of time before something's implemented. Sure. So, so there is a, there is a change that goes into effect January 1, 2020. That change was announced in 2015. So a five year right. window and any, any kind of uh, proposal for a larger change to Medicare has typically been a 10 year window. So while we keep an eye on it and we absolutely have to understand what those changes can do to the business and how that can affect us. We know that there's going to be with any change to Medicare, uh, there's going to be some time uh, to make an adjustment that's good. if there's a change. So that's that's what's interesting about certain industries is your what's going on in the industry has such a huge impact on you, right? So like at Stackify, we're not really in any specific industry. Full scale is not really in, in a really specific industry. Like the overall economy may have some effect on us, right? But it's not really a specific industry, but like event solutions, we were an automotive, right? So when Ford closes stores, GM goes bankrupt, Chrysler goes, like we feel the effects of that, right? Because we're in that industry. So uh, to be, but to be one in that's like heavily regulated, like that's a whole different world I've never had to deal as much with, but I just can only imagine having to worry about all the regulations. Our compliance department is very important to us. uh, Tremendous department. Uh, And I say it all the time, but compliance is everyone's job. Uh, You know, it's it's the job of compliance to put us in the right position, but compliance is everyone's job. It's it's like a double-edged sword, right? Because at any time the government could make a change that greatly helps you. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. The, you know, Medicare supplement insurance didn't used to exist or something, right? Where all of a right. sudden it does, and it's like a huge opportunity. Absolutely. But at the same side, they could make a different change. It's just absolutely that's the crazy part about yeah, it. Yeah. And it's, a, it's complicated for the government. It's complicated for the consumer. Uh, so it is As a, an entrepreneur, it, it is a hard it's puzzle. like an interesting <laughs> puzzle. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I have a little change of direction here. And first off, thanks for everything you're doing here in our hometown. Absolutely. Um, you guys have received some press and different stuff. I mean, you're clearly creating a lot of jobs here. So. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now with that over the last 10 years and you, all right. So I grew up in Kansas city. I've lived all over the country. Six years ago, I came back to Kansas city. Um, I live in Kansas. Um, that's relevant because the, there's a difference between stuff and different States. 
Um, I've seen the part of what brought me back here was I was seeing the tech landscape here in Kansas City change dramatically. I feel like the uh, introduction of Google Fiber here brought a lot of attention and maybe just, I mean, it doesn't take a, a massive number of businesses to start changing the tech landscape and, you know, the startup landscape in, in any city. What are some of the things that you've really seen over the last 10 years when it comes to Kansas City as a city and then also specifically related to its, te- its tech and startup community? Well, it's, it's exciting what's going on in Kansas City uh, in the tech community. I love to see how many startups we have going. I love to see the investment that companies are making in startups. I think it's important in the future for companies to continue to make an investment in uh, companies to make an investment in technology. Uh, and then we all know that that tech talent is certainly a challenge. And so the city has to continue to invest in the short term, yes, but also in the long term. So I really would like to see, uh, you know, our school systems embrace technology. You know, I'd love to see it at the middle school level, but certainly at the high school level to start educating our kids around what opportunities are out there. Technology is so important and we want to build a pipeline for the future. So I think it's important now to continue to invest in technology. I love what's going on. Uh, I think now we're starting to get some some publicity around just what a hotbed of technology Kansas City is in the Midwest, because that's certainly a few years ago, not what people would have thought about Kansas City. So the excitement is amazing. I heard a couple interesting stats yesterday on NPR. It said that uh I think it was all of state of Kansas. It said community college Wait, enrollment. You, you were listening to NPR, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you, yeah. you called me old earlier. Well, you know, hey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It said that were community you watching college. Your, were you watching your stories on TV as yeah. well later? Okay. Community college um, enrollment was down 9%, partly because the economy <clears throat> is so good. Everybody's like, I can just go get a job yeah. because there's lots of jobs available. But the other thing it did say is that enrollment in tech-related stuff was up like 50%. That's so great that's see. that's really good. I don't know over what time and what that means exactly, but I just thought that was that was just good to hear. I think it's exciting to hear, yep. and I, and I know our city has embraced technology, and I want to see us continue to embrace technology for you know all of our workforce, but also for the youngsters. You know, I think the the thing that's that, and you know, honestly, I I, I irritate some people with my opinion on this, but I'm just this b- huge believer in globalization. You know, like, I mean, all the any big company that you're competing with or or dealing with or around is global. You know, they've got employees all over the world, and you know, part of the reason that our business has grown so quickly is you know, there's just such an amazing gap. And the amount of jobs that are open and different well, unemployment's stuff like at like three yeah. percent or something, depending on how you calculate it, right? Like, yeah. there's not enough talent. There's not enough people in a lot of fields. There's something I was reading a thing the other day. There's like a half a million open tech jobs, and that's so, amazing. Good luck. Well, it's like if we need to it's getting, hire, it's getting, it's getting a lot more yeah. nurses or teachers or whatever. If our education system's not producing them, then if there's people from other countries that have that education that want to come here, then potentially we need to allow them to immigrate and put them to work. Yeah. Right. And like he has all those positions. I think you make a good point about globalization and you have to be flexible and allow people to work where they might be most comfortable working. Yeah. Uh, we do have some developers that are not in Kansas city or Arizona, our yeah. two offices. Uh, and we will continue to go down that path to make sure we find the best talent regardless of where they might live or if they don't work in our office. I, I don't think that a local business should be, uh, should be, uh, required to make bad business decisions in order to just be local. Cause the thing that we find, so, you know, as I mentioned, our office is in the Philippines and, you know, we work with a lot of companies here in Kansas city, but what, 
where they can't find specific types of tech talent, they hire us and they build teams in our office at full scale. But what that does is that opens up their budget to hire things that are plentiful here. They have more sales and marketing people, just different stuff, you know, and it's not, I mean, it's six of one, half dozen of another. The job creation can still exist. Um, but in the end, you know, whether, I mean, reality is reality and businesses don't thrive or move forward without the ability to find the resources they need. Well, like your guys' yeah. business, if you were based in San Francisco, I'm going to guess you wouldn't have a call center for 900 people in downtown San Francisco. That's like exactly they would make right. no sense whatsoever. Right. So right. there's just certain things have, have got to move around to different places because of the labor costs, that, that's a, that's, available of talent, all that. That's stuff. an amazing point. You know, three or four years ago when I was still in the ticket business, I was talking to a, a peer of mine who owns a huge company. He was complaining about his, his expense structure. I was like, dude, you have a call center in Chicago. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> like, I mean, move it to Bloomington, Illinois or somewhere yeah. like urban, somewhere like where you can still get the same level of people, but not take on the, the you know, it's like, yeah, but, but Chicago is where we're at. I'm like, it's not where you should be. So I don't know. That always requires interesting things. So, um, <clears throat> you know, what, what's, a, what's some advice that we, well, a couple of, actually, you know what, we like to talk a little bit about, um, about, about our failures, as well. Um, there's so much to learn from them. What's something that, that you don't mind sharing that, you know, that failure, it, it sometimes it's just like our own inexperience. You look back at it and I'm like, wow, I can't believe we thought that would work Sure, or something like it. Do you have, do you have something that you learn from that you, you still fall back on and maybe even use as examples for folks today? Absolutely. So I mentioned earlier that we, uh, we sold the one company auto and home in 2012. So 2013, we had some money, we were ready to go and grow the Medicare business like crazy. We tripled the size of the company. Uh, one thing we learned from that, uh, and we took 2014 to stay pretty static on the size of the company. One thing we learned is that if you're going to scale the company that fast, you have to have the infrastructure, have to have the technology. And so what we learned in 2013 was, hey, 2014 will be a great year for us to solidify the infrastructure put technology behind the business, shore up our data team, and make sure that we were prepared for the growth that we were going to have. And that way, it allowed us to double the size of the company in 15, and then another huge growth in 16, and then doubled in 17, uh, huge growth, hundreds of people in 18, and same with 19. So uh, taking the time before you scale the business to make sure you're actually ready to scale. A lot of excitement, having a ton of success. When you triple the size of the company, metrics change in a hurry and yep. you have to anticipate those changes that are going to come and understand the tools that you need to have in place because it's, 2013 we were not prepared with the tools that we needed to have we still had a successful year but not nearly the success we had in 2014 and beyond when you double in year every year like that it's really hard to budget and plan because you've got a new like giant problem everywhere you look that you had no idea was going to be your bottleneck or problem or whatever it is. Like it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. We went so through, true. we went through that at full scale last year, just kind of looking at the trajectory where we were at and we're like, man, if we don't really get some stuff going here, we're going to, this could go Lord of the flies real quick, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and, and you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really like a good analogy because um, especially when your company's in an early stage, like that culture matters. And if it's just a total shit show, at the office, you're not going to, I mean, you're going to kill your reputation before you really even started. You're not going right. to be able to attract talent. It just becomes a, a, a real mess. Would you agree, Matt? It's, it's a never ending <laughs> battle in a startup, right? It's a new problem every day. So, 
And then, then through scale, you know, it's also important to continue to make sure you have the right team around you. I mentioned people earlier, and I love technology. I love everything we're doing with technology. I love what we do with data. Uh, data science team's amazing. But at the end of the day, having the right people in the right places for uh, that time in the company, that is so crucial. I, I think the success or failure of most companies is the right or wrong hire in yes. so, so many positions at the right time. So true. So, yeah. So you, you've mentioned data science and we were talking about local talent and stuff like that. It, I, I've been uh, fascinated with data science for all of about a month. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's funny that might make me an expert. We've got a uh, bunch of people at full scale that do it. We do. Uh, but at the same time, data science is actually something you can get into without, you don't necessarily have to have a tech background. Right. And that was something that I, that, you know, so I just listened, like reading books and articles and listening to audible books and stuff like that while I've been traveling. And, um, you know, you can really get started in something like data science is a really fast growing part of, of tech. Absolutely. And, you know, really it's just math and, and in so many ways, and maybe some, I mean, if you have aptitude around that, you can, uh, really, you could really accelerate your career path by, and there's different things that, you know, certifications and stuff. IBM has one, Duke has one I've learned because we have a couple employees that have gone through it. I'm like, oh, these are pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, if you're interested in in furthering your career, um, it's something you could look at. I mean, if you have, if you like math and you like numbers and stats and you like pushing numbers around, some people are good at that. Some people aren't. Um, so before we get into uh, wrapping up here, once again, go to springventuregroup.com. You can learn a lot more about what Chris is doing. Uh, while you're on your phone or the internet, stop by Instagram and check out Sp Spring Venture Group. While you're there, you can come check us out at Startup Hustle Podcast. Today's episode also, it's also on the YouTubes. Yeah. You can see my pretty face. Yes. That's why I go. <laughs> so, uh, but for those of you that have uh, paid attention to our new YouTube channel, uh, we appreciate it. And I know that not, I'm actually really surprised at how much how many subscribers have jumped onto that? It's uh, you never thought that maybe putting a podcast is kind of like uh, what was the dude on Silicon Valley when he put radio on the internet? Are we going? <laughs> are we going three commas? Yeah, that? trace commas. We're gonna. I saw a license plate that said four commas the other day, and I was like, dude, you've got it figured out. It I actually know that guy. Do you? Yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, I was leaving the Royals game. He has three commas, four commas, five commas. Wow, five commas. Is pretty, he pretty, decided to keep pretty, going. That's pretty, that's, <laughs> that's pretty aggressive. Yeah. Um, so, you, and, and first off, Chris, thanks again for coming by. I know you're busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's it, you Startup Hustle's been fun. For those of you that listen, I, we are past 190 countries. There's we, not that many countries. No, there are. No. It's 200 and something. No, 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 no. Matt, th these are countries whether I, the UN uh, agrees with it or not. Yeah. So I'll let you talk to Breland and Johnny. <laughs> okay. About all right. You can go. I'll tell you what, you can use your newfound data science skills. I still don't. But by the way, Bosnia and Herzegovina, or however you pronounce that, actually counts as two countries. One well, like Taiwan or Hong Kong are not countries. They're hey, part of China. You know what? You can talk. To, that's a hot topic right now. You <laughs> it should is a hot topic. Call Davey on a shot tracker and get, get in front of some people at the NBA and yeah. see if they want to talk hot about topic. Hong Kong right now. So – and I really do appreciate you stopping by and talking with us. Um, what we've been doing recently is we, we hand the mic over to our guest 
at the end. And uh, we suggest or ask that you give some suggestions to those that are interested in following your path, entrepreneurs in general, really just anything or, you know, like, I mean, clearly you've, you found success. You were uh, employee 15 out of 900. Yep. And, uh, you know, that, so, so you've, you've gone through a lot. Um, what would you, what would you like to say to those listening or any advice that you want to offer? Well, I would say, don't be afraid to take some risks. Uh, great companies come out of people that, that take risks. So don't be afraid to take some risks. And if you have an idea, you know, it's really worth vetting that out and seeing where it can fit. But there's so much opportunity out there today. So many companies doing so many different things. That's where I would start. You know, don't be afraid to do so. I would also say you don't need to have the perfect business plan. I mean, look at Spring Venture Group. They got into the into business doing a few things that could generate some revenue. Uh, and then it evolved from there. Insurance, I'm not even sure if insurance was on the radar uh, for the founders when they opened Spring Venture Group. But a year after they launched, they got into insurance. Then we got into another line of insurance. And here we are a decade later uh, with one of the biggest Medicare agencies in the country uh, selling insurance over the phone in a model that really was not uh, a model where Medicare insurance was sold a decade ago. So innovation is crucial to our economy and people have a ton of opportunity out there to create something and insert that into different business lines to be effective. So I think that uh, I would also say, as you're thinking about starting a business, put the right team together. Make sure that you have the right people that can solve problems together because you're going to go through a ton of challenges. It's highly rewarding, but you're going to go through a ton of challenges. I love being involved with startups when I get a chance to be involved with startups or be on the boards of startups because it's fun to solve those challenges, but you have to have the team that can adapt to change and you have to have people that are going to be willing to know that this is not going to go like you planned it, but you have to keep fighting every day bring a high level of energy to what you're doing and have some, and if you have passion for it, then you have really a great opportunity to make a difference. Matt, you have anything you'd like to add today? No. In your daily freestyle? Mm-mm, no. <laughs> Nothing. No. Just that I listened to NPR. That was the big news today. Yeah. I think today if we're going to, um, we're going to look back at our own failures and learning. I'm, I learned today that while your phone is on silent, you can apparently, <laughs> you apparently can play music, uh, play music yeah, out loud. Play music. So, um, that's, that's my big learning experience, um, other than all the other interesting stuff I learned today, but, yeah, very but yeah, but I think overall, you know, one of the things that is important is, you know, when you're starting a business, you're going to have people, you look at something like insurance and, people are going to say, oh, well, everyone's already done that or doing it or whatever. And they'll try to maybe push you away from it. Um, if your total addressable market is massive, you can probably carve a piece out, but you got to be ready to kind of figure out what that is and, sure. and do a lot of stuff. We've had some interesting guests that have, uh, if you look back at Laurel Holt's episode, you know, encouraging people to be cowardly. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't sound sexy to be cowardly, but being cowardly means finding something that no one else is doing and being left alone to do it in a place where you get really good at it. So, and some of those things plug in, you know, Laurel was the founder of CarStar and that they are everywhere. And, and it's not like they invented the auto body industry, but they found a solution that, that mattered for them. So, and it obviously had a big, total addressable market. Well, for those of you listening, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by FullScale.io and Matt Watson. All right. right? Thank you.
See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.